It's still a new year, and I still want to harness that sense that this is new, and I'm entertaining the thought of some differences in my life. Replacing that old calendar with a new one also kind of gives a new perspective, like I'm willing to try out different things. And so uh, let me remind you of what we talked about last week before we launch out into a very specific plan for your growth. I just, I, this is, this is not, I'm not laying this out you have to do. I'm saying here's a suggestion for you. First of all, spiritual uh, growth is expected of the believer. Last week we had the, the, the privilege of watching Ellie Knight, not here today, but Ellie Knight be baptized, immersed into her new life, her new life with Christ. We now have a, a, a babe in Christ, right? A baby in Christ, a new infant, right? Uh, and, and that's exciting. And, and having the, you know, when you have a birth of a baby, it's exciting, but it changes things, doesn't it, for the family and for the baby itself. And when you have a new birth, it starts a whole new life. And growth is expected. You expect the baby to grow. And we are expecting Ellie and all of us to grow. It's expected. Second, it demands attention. This is not going to happen by osmosis or naturally. This is going to happen as you make every effort, huh, the way Peter the Apostle describes it. Our schedules will not suddenly open up like the Red Sea and make room for spiritual exercises in your life. You've got to do it. Your family won't welcome it naturally. You've got to kind of force it. And your new mindset won't rest easily alongside the way you've grown accustomed living. You've got to... You've got to discipline yourself. Routine and comfort will become dangerous. Growth requires movement. And then spiritual growth is possible. God has given us the resources. Like Scripture, it is useful, but you've got to use it. He's given us all sorts of resources. As you're using your computer, once in a while, if you have an antivirus a program on it, it will jump up and say, while you're working in the background, the antivirus program is, is functioning. We'd like the spiritual growth to kind of operate in the background of our lives and just happen. By the way, let me say this. Tomorrow, Lewis Cravens is going to be 86, but that's nothing. Evelyn Robinson tomorrow is going to be 92. Is that right, 92? 92. So we got 170-something years between these two right here. So congratulations and happy birthday to you. So here's what's going to happen. Today, taking these three things right here, I'm going to give you some concrete stuff. This is just something doable. I know the pace of your life. I'm not going to tell you get up at 4 in the morning, do meditative prayer for six hours, study the Greek, all that stuff. We're not going to talk about that stuff. That is totally unreasonable. I want to offer you an actual practical plan for growth. Number one, build into your life time to read a little scripture. I don't mean get a little bitty Bible and read it. Okay, I, once I put that slide up there and looked at it this morning, I thought that looks a little weird, like read a little bitty Bible. No, I mean just read a little bit of scripture as you start out your day. Don't don't study it in depth like I've got to tear down to the studs and figure out what it is and diagram the sentences and all that. Read some scripture and be prepared to submit to it. Here's what 2 Timothy says, as was read just a moment ago, and I didn't hear many amens, so I'm going to give you a chance to repent. All right? All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching 
for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Amen. That's right. That's what Scripture is for. This is the way to be complete. This is when somebody says, I really want to be a complete Christian, a full Christian. Well, there, here's your script right here. You can't do it without your script. God is breathing his truth into your life, and he's making it useful for you if you use it. Intentionally read it, to intentionally yield to it. Now, not all texts have clear applications, so here's how you start. You start with a prayer that God moves his Holy Spirit in you and in the text to make an interaction. Start your prayer by inviting the Holy Spirit into This is one way that we can dis- learn to discern and be sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. You pray and you ask God. It doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out prayer. You ask God, bless, uh, give me a ch- fill me with your Holy Spirit to know how this reading we're about to partake in, I'm about to partake in, applies to me. Then read a portion of Scripture. Then you read it. It does not have to be a long portion of Scripture. It it shouldn't be ten chapters. It probably shouldn't be one verse either. Make Make it say something. Let it speak just like... Eli taught Samuel, here's what you do, speak, Lord, the ser- your servant is listening. And so you have this posture and attitude, and then make it short enough to where later on you might be able to call it up on your phone and read it one more time, just, just to get that reminder. But just make it long enough to give you a portion of God's Word in your life. And then you ponder that. You figure out what the possible implications are. And not every one of them has the same thing. This is the where we get caught up sometimes in this. Here are some possible implications from your passage. Does it have something to say about how you should think? I just need, this just changes my thinking. I'm not to go out and do anything drastic as a result of this passage. I'm supposed to think. Melissa and I, this week, we're, we're, we're in 1 Samuel, and we're talking about when David was anointed, and David has this discussion. Surely it's this son. Look at him. He looks like a king. And God says, don't look on the outside. I look at the heart. You need to start looking. And we, we started talking about that. And we just talked, to, just the, the two of us in the living room, just said, okay, what are some ways tomorrow when I live through my life, how can I start thinking like like this? How can I not judge people by external superficial criteria, but learn to discern the heart of a person? Do you think that's practical? Is that a practical thing to pray about your life? God, fill me with your spirit so that I'm not judging people on the outside, but I'm waiting to kind of see what their heart is like. That has nothing to do necessarily with an action I'm going to undertake. I don't have any x-ray vision. It's just how I think needs to be challenged from this reading today. Or maybe it's about what you believe. Maybe you read a little a passage that just, you know, I never really realized that. I never, that whole thing that he read this morning about that paradox, in order to, to be first, I have to be last. I'm starting to think like, maybe I should look for ways to be last a little more. That's just a, a thinking thing, a believing thing. And then maybe, maybe it does have something about what you do. Maybe you read a passage and it says, when you fast... Well, maybe I need to try that. Or when I serve, maybe I need to look for ways to serve today. Any number of things. You look at these passages, different implications. Here's one, and this is often the case I found, is that this passage doesn't expect me to do or think anything different except just be aware of and appreciate and trust God more. 
Those miracles of Jesus, when you read a story about the miracle of Jesus, what do you do as a result of it? You don't do anything. It's like, look, he turned the water into wine. Let me try it. No, that's not, that's not the application, okay? The application is, I serve a God who can do anything. I serve a God who can transform amazing things out of circumstances. Just, just appreciate that more. A lot of times that's the only implication there is. But think about it. Where does it have to do and bearing in my life? And then finish it up by praying again. Next screen. Praying again. So, your... Your reading time begins with God, make me aware, fill me with your Holy Spirit to see things in this text. And then you close out and you say, God, help me to apply this. Just like a lot of our closing prayer people here at Valley View will say, help us to apply what we've heard here today. God, help me to see in the areas of my life where I might need to touch on this. Now, let me give you an example of reading this way. And by the way, how long does this need to be? Can I, can, you, you just be honest because your days are going to be different. There's going to be some days where you might have 15, 20 minutes that you can fill. And there might be some days you have only five minutes. Don't get into a spot where you demand more time of yourself than you can realistically give. And you live the rest of the day feeling guilty about not giving the amount of time you wanted to give at the beginning of the year. Instead, adjust each day. If day's going to be expect, uh, particularly full of stuff, just peel back and do a little bit. I would rather than you read through the Bible in a year, I'd rather you apply the Bible every day. A little more every day, even if it's just five minutes worth. Now let me give you an example of this, how this works. And this is working right now because I've decided I've got to attack certain things in my life. Here's one of my defects, and I'm not making this up for a sermon. This is the real deal. This is really true. And if you think it sounds shameful, well, just sorry, that's your preacher. One of my defects is that I'm self-centered. I think the world should revolve around me. I think the world should see how important I am and get out of my way. I think they should give me a button on my, my car that when I push it, the light turns from red to green because the important guy's coming, let him go. That's the only way I can explain getting angry about a stoplight. It's because I think I'm so important and the world needs to bow down to what I need it to do for me right now. That's where this is. That's why when I'm sitting in my office, whether it's at here at church or whether it's at home, and uh, there should be a pin here. There were 14,385 pins I put here last week, and for some reason I need a pin right now, and there's not a one here. Not one. M Melissa, what did you do with them? That's my first response. Who came here and stole the 14,385 pins? I know better than that, but in your rage and in the self-centeredness, it makes me angry. I'm looking around, I'm throwing a fit, like where's the keys, right? Or, or maybe it's I have to stop for a train. Or I have to stop for traffic. We live in a spot where it's hard to get out on 49 sometimes. And it's frustrating, and I want to lecture the driver in front of me who had plenty of time in that little gap right there to get out there if he had just gone. And I want to tell him about it, right? The computer when it takes too long. All those things, listen, all those things, oh, they're funny, yeah, everybody can relate to them. But back behind them is the truth. What generates that anger is the fact that I think the entire world should bow to my demands and my needs for this moment. And that's the stupidest thought on the face of the planet. But it's in my head, y'all, and that's why it's been there for years. 
So scripture has a way of diagnosing this. I have a way of reading scripture and letting it slice and dice me. It's living and active, y'all, sharper than any double-edged sword. And when I read it, it has something to say about that underlying defect and all those behaviors. And so I've got these verses. I'm going to go from the behavior to the defect, okay? The first one is Ephesians 4, verse 29. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only what is good for building others up as the, as the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. We automatically think cussing. Yes, cussing is covered by this. But there's something else, too. When you're frustrated and angry on the inside, that anger only gets stronger when you verbalize it. When you say it, it makes you feel justified in feeling it, and it metastasizes that anger. It makes it just go everywhere. You're giving voice to a frustration, and by giving it voice, you're giving it strength. Shut up. Don't say it. Don't say it. That's why when you gossip and you talk about little things with other people, you together with them make those little things much bigger than they should be. Don't gossip. Don't talk about that stuff. There's some things you shouldn't say. I think sometimes you can do this without even saying anything like an eye roll. An eye roll does this too. It will do that. It makes your anger feel more intense, so don't say it. Here's another one, Colossians chapter 3. Put on then, after he says, take off these behaviors that don't belong here, put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts. Be compassionate. Be patient with people. Be compassionate. Kindness, humility, meekness, patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, for whatever reason, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. There's a verse. There's a verse. So I've got the, in your anger, don't, sin, you know, don't, let, don't let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths. And then you have this passage, right? Where you're talking about all those things that you need to be working on, putting into your life after you take the bad stuff out. Then there's the anger one of Ephesians chapter 4. Be angry, do not sin, do not let the sun go down on your anger, do not give the, uh, the enemy no opportunity for slant, right? You don't give him a foothold uh, uh, foot in your life. Now here's what happens. Here's the rules that I'm applying to this. I'm on this old Bridger Road trying to get out on 49, and there's traffic from Brooklyn this way and Paragold, I mean, and Jonesboro this way, and it just it is so hard to get out of there. And I want to lecture that guy in front of me because he just let a let a little spot go by and he didn't get out there he's waiting for for sarah huckabee to give him a personal escort out good grief man i could have crossed it with a burrito eaten on one hand what is wrong with you i want to let him know this is ridiculous you should be out there but i'm not going to do that anymore first of all i'm not going to say anything at all this is y'all i'm 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 letting you hold me accountable if you want to. I'm not going to say anything at all. And in fact, I'm not going to look at the traffic because here's the truth. Even if there's a gap there, if he doesn't go, I can't go. I'm just going to watch him. That's it. I don't need to watch the rest of it. Last night we were going for pizza and there was that traffic just like that. Melissa was driving. She's always driving. She doesn't let me drive. And so as she's driving, there was a gap that was clearly, in my opinion, for her to drive out on. And I <laughs> said nothing. It was beautiful moment of glory. It was like the angel split up and the halo came around my head. It was wonderful. Finally, finally. And she said out loud, I could have gone there. And I still said nothing. 
Praise the Lord. Now, I'm serious about this. This is such a frustration to me and to get little victory in this. But listen, it's never going to happen if I don't think that's a spiritual moment right there. If you think, well, that's just traffic and that's just funny, that's a neat story of a... No! That really is God's opportunity to me. Are you really going to let these verses matter? Are you going to keep looking for an excuse why this doesn't count? It's an amazing thing how many times he gives me this. I've been here six years now, six and a half years, and I still haven't mastered this, and I'm thinking God has given me ample opportunity since I moved to Jonesboro to learn this, and yet I've keep given excuses for why it doesn't count as Ephesians 4 and Colossians 3. It does count. It is that moment. That's the opportunity God has given me today. If you're going to pray at the end of a prayer, God, show me ways to apply this lesson today, and then he gives them to you, use them. Use them. Otherwise, you're ignoring the word. It's submission. Now, while, as I'm sitting there doing this, there's, I, now I've got to get to the defect. And here's what I've got to say. If I do say something to the driver, it's got to be this. Here's a call, Philippians chapter 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but humility count others is more significant than yourselves. I've got to get to the de- defect, guys. I can, I can behavior my way, but listen, the whole thing about the Holy Spirit is this. I'm not trying to earn my way to God. I've already been made right with God. This is not me trying to earn my salvation. This is, I'm a saved person. I want to act like a saved person. I want to act like a Holy Spirit-filled person. So that's why I pray this. I pray the Holy Spirit fills me and shows me what I need to do because it's not just my own power. I'm not going to be able to do this on my own, but the Holy Spirit can. And what he's teaching me in this traffic moment, don't do anything out of selfish ambition or conceit. Don't honk your horn and don't lecture this guy because that is driven by self-centeredness. That's not to be part of the Christian life. Consider him more important than you. And he didn't feel secure enough to get out in that traffic. He's going by his pace. He's more important than you. You just stay where you are and be still. That is a spiritual moment. Now, I still don't understand trains. I don't get trains, and here's why. I'm going to do a little therapy here until I can come up with some verse that applies to this. You're sitting here, and the bars come down, and no one can get in there. They've got a one-way priority, but they insist on going a half mile an hour. If you were on a highway, and no one else could get on that highway, and it's just you, are you going to go half a mile an hour? Trains, speed up. You got a track. Move along. Here's what happens. I wait for six minutes and then I pass, and then I'm passing him three miles up the road because I'm going faster than he is. What is wrong with this? I don't know a verse for this. Maybe this still, maybe this still applies. I, I don't know. I've still got therapy to do, but here's the thing. All these other moments are like this. It's all these verses that we're talking about. This does 
matter. And so what happens is submitting to scripture is this. Our lives are full of moments where you've done by impulse or by nature what you've always done. And now you've got a word from scripture that says, I want you to live this way. And every one of these moments is an opportunity to exchange one for the other. I'm no longer going to do what I've always done. I'm going to replace it with something new that's more reflective of the heart of God that shows the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, it's called submission and application. But don't look, overlook everything, other things either. Here's some other things you could do too. Have you considered fasting when you read about fasting? Have you ever actually said to yourself, where do I see the steps the Holy Spirit is laying out for me? I'm in a pickle here. I've got a challenge in front of me and I don't know what to do. Have you ever actually said to yourself, according to Galatians, where's the Spirit leading me to go? Because it says we can ask that. Have you ever said out loud when you're tempted to do something that appeals to you but not to God? Have you ever said out loud, get behind me, Satan? Have you ever said it out loud? Jesus did. You can. You ever read about giving and found yourself wanting to be more generous towards something in your life? Have you read about the way Jesus serves? And have you ever thought, God, opened my eyes that I may see the service that's available around me and actually do it as a result of what you read? There's so many things that we can read in the, the text that makes us different. So here's what I would say. Pray, read, ponder, and pray again. This is what I urge you to put in your, even if this is just a five-minute exercise sometime in your day. Pray, read, ponder and pray just a small portion of scripture and see if you don't turn over a little more into God's way second thing to do this year be intentional in your worship this worship service is always designed basically the same way it's got the same elements that worship always has in it but the question is are we all taking advantage of it Yes, you are coming into God's presence. You're giving him the praise that he deserves. But in exchange, just by the nature of God from his word, in exchange, he does something in us. Or at least he, he offers this possibility. So think about the Lord's Supper, for instance. We can turn this into just like a checking the box thing. You know, did you flip and drain the hourglass? That's what I want to say. Did you, drip and, did you, did you flip and drain it? Did you flip and drain it? Flip and drain it? Take your two minutes to do the flip and drain, Right? Or did something happen in that time? Because here's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. Let a person examine himself and so eat the bread and drink of the cup. Do you know why we have any instruction on the Lord's Supper in 1 Corinthians 11? Because they did it wrong. They were doing it in such a way it was destroying community. The Corinthians were doing it in an abusive way. And when they did it, it hurt each other. And Paul says, you got to stop this because God put this in here to build you up. He, did this to, he, he put the Lord's Supper in the worship service, not for himself, but for you. He wants to fellowship with you and, 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 and gather around the table with you and, and fill you up and strengthen you and give you growth. And while you meet him at the table, you examine, you retroview your life. Look back at your life and say, have you been living? Have you reflected the attitude of Christ or not? You're supposed to examine yourself, but if you don't, this becomes just a flip and drain of an hourglass. Paul says the same thing sort of of singing and praying. What am I to do, Paul says in the worship? 
I'm going to pray with my spirit. I'm going to pray with my mind. I'll sing praise with my spirit. I will sing praise with my mind. Otherwise, no one can really learn anything and be built up. So what I want to do, he says, is I want, to, I want to pay attention to the words, yes, but I also want to covenant with God to honor the words. The Spirit means my will. I want to sing these songs as if my will is involved and I'm willing myself to actually live them out this next week. It's an x-ray. It's an MRI machine that God puts into our worship service. But it could just be, it could be just sit there and just get through it and do your time. What determines whether the worship is a growing time or just a slowing time for you? Well, is the singing good? Is the sermon short? No, none of that has anything to do with it. It has to do with what are you doing? Are you taking advantage of this? And prayer, whether in the worship or in your own private life, Prayer is this communion with God where you get to share with him everything. And so many times we just, we just take our list and we bring our list into the worship and we, uh, into our prayer and we just, we, just, we just pray over this list and instead of thinking of the entire relationship, start your week off by looking at the whole week of your life, what's coming up, and pray to God about it. These are the obligations I've got, God. Help me to cover them by being aware of your presence but also being aware of what I can do in the lives of other people. And there might be surprises, God, that I don't even know about in this week, but you do, and I want you to prepare me for it. And I want you to eliminate any temptations that you can and help me not to, 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 to give in to the evil around me. Just talk to him. Ask him to help you carry out what you need to. Ask him to get you to recover from, overcome your fear of financial pressures and parental struggles and give you wisdom to know how to be a good son or daughter and how to be a good parent and how to be a good person. All these things, what changes you is not what he changes as a result of your prayer, but the fact that he makes you aware of his presence. I want, to, I want you to listen to what this one lady wrote. I really like this paragraph. I pray when I'm happy. I pray when I'm sad. I pray when I'm rested. I pray when I'm tired. I pray when I'm at home. I pray when I'm on a plane. I pray when I need answers, and I pray when I just need reassurance. I pray when it's easy, I pray when it's hard, I pray even when it feels like God isn't listening to me at all, when no matter how hard I try to hear him, I feel his silence. Rather than take the silence as rejection or disapproval or indifference and give him the silent treatment, I pray. Rather than judge him as not caring, I pray. No matter what's going on, no matter where in the world I am, no matter what time of day it is, and when something comes up in my heart or just crosses my mind, I pray. Prayer is a declaration of dependence. It's our way of saying, God, I want you, I need you. When we bring something to God in prayer, we are saying, God, I want your rule, I want your reign, I want your direction, I want your will, I want your help in this. And every time we withhold from God, we're making this statement, God, I'm good, I got this on my own. Or God, to be honest, I'm not all that interested in what you have to say about this. When you're tempted to pass by the secret place of prayer, when you're tempted to leave something off the table, out of your conversation with him, ask yourself, do I really want to go at this without him? Pray some more and learn to pray sincerely and conversationally. One last one, that is just be spurred. You come on the top of this hill, and we know that we're supposed to 
worship. We're supposed to draw near to God, and we also know that we spur one another on. I'm not even talking about being, I'm not really talking now about spurring others on. I'm talking about being spurred. Part of our growth comes from what we do with one another. I, I, I think this is interesting because there's so many things. You know, I steal ideas from different things. I steal ideas from books and biographies and all that. But you know what? This, is one of, this collection of people right here that I'm staring at is some of the most spiritual, godly people I know. And I get to interact and rub elbows with you, and I get to share life with you, and I get to see the things you do. Some of them. And I'm looking at this, and I'm thinking, there's so many neat ideas for how to parent. There's so many neat ideas about how to love your spouse. There's so many neat ideas about how to, how to be creative and having devotionals with kids or, or just know how to raise kids. All those kinds of things. And it's all right here in the assembly. But the thing is, you've got to go get it. You, you've got to be spurred. And you gotta, it takes time to be spurred. I've got to get close enough for you to spur me on, right? And right now what we have is some of the coolest things. Over the last few weeks, we've been able to come up here and you've been able to get a front row seat to like Blake and Sandra Lamberson. And I've got to tell you that great challenge. There's only a couple of these treatments left, but it's taken a toll. And yet what faithfulness they have demonstrated in living it out right here in front of us. I know she's a beautiful lady, beautiful hair, and she, she's got to wear a wig, right? And, she, and there's a risk in that. And there's some people that could hide away, who could use that to hide away and just kind of do my own private thing. And she comes out in public and she shares the journey with us. Do you not feel honored? Do you not feel the privilege of gathering an assembly with those two in it? That's an amazing thing. And there's, I mean, I could go about this with everywhere. Gary James could just hide away. He's got some signs of some weakness. He had some things and people misinterpreted this skin cancer thing. And he's worried about people not thinking he, he fell or whatever. But he shows up in our midst. The treasures that we have in this assembly are enormous. But you know the thing about growth is you can't just split and run as soon as service is over and not rub shoulders with some of these people and miss out on some growth opportunity. I think God built that in. He could have easily said worship privately at home and you'll draw close to God and that's true. But you'll be missing out on this spurring and part of your growth is that. And it takes, it takes effort. But you know what? There's a lot of people that come up here and never really interact and never get to know the stories that are here. And you miss out on that growth. And I'm saying this year, this year why not make a commitment? I'm going to stay on top of this hill after worship for five minutes and talk to people and see their story. And so, you hear Amy Floyd, she's now entered the ring in the battle against breast cancer. Scary words to hear. I sent her a text the other day, and I said, James won. This is weird. I could only do this because I know she's got a legacy of faithfulness in her family, and she's rock solid, right? So I couldn't do this. You know what James won says? Get ready. Because there's something amazing that's going to happen through all this. That's what James says. What does it say, y'all? Do y'all know? Count it pure joy when you face 
trials of many kinds. Is this a trial of some kind? Yeah, it's a trial. So, you, you know, guys, this is a tough verse. And I won't just say it to anybody because some people would find that just life off-putting. But I know who I'm talking to. And I'm thinking, we get a front row seat and she's going to share with us. She could hide away for a while until all this is over, but she's not. She's going to share it with us. And we're going to watch some of the most amazing things develop in this young lady. And we get to see it. And we get to be part of it. And we get to build her up. Y'all, that's one of the greatest blessings. And while you do that she grows and so do you I think we're missing out on some things in the simplicity of just scripture simplicity of our worship but what are you coming to get out of it for and the fellowship that we have with one another I've gone too long already but I'm gonna take a, take one more thing it if if we're gonna grow we got to go beyond what we've done already You've got, you, you can't just keep doing what you've always done and expect anything different. You've got to do a little bit different. You've got to add something or you've got to look for something more than what you have before. And I want to say to our young men, we have uh, lads to leaders talking about this, and I, I just, want to, just want to say this. I, I, I think our Christian colleges are having trouble preparing preachers because nobody wants to do it. And I really think it's kind of put the beat on the church because the truth is, Schools aren't supposed to prepare our preachers. We are. The church is. We are to prepare the ones who proclaim this truth. And I know, I know Caruso went last week, and it's that camp of high school students, boys, who are thinking about preaching in some form, whether just every once in a while or as an occupation. And, and, and they did a video, and they interviewed a lot of us for this video, and they asked, what are you surprised about Caruso for? And I kind of I gave an answer that they just kind of went, I don't know if we like that answer. They won't use it for the video, I'm sure. But they said, what are you surprised about? And I said, I'm surprised anybody came. Because nobody wants to preach. You know why? Well, there's all sorts of reasons. They think you've got to be hungry. Listen, y'all, I get paid pretty well. I get paid pretty well, and I, got to, I don't want to work with all those people. You all are pretty cool people. I've not really had anybody stab me in the back yet in six and a half years. I don't know what everybody's talking about. This is a great occupation. In fact, it's a call from God, and it's a, an amazing thing. You don't have to take a vow of poverty. I promise you, you don't. And I want to say, we've got some young people in our youth group who need to consider preaching who need to consider taking up the gauntlet of being a spokesman. Why? Because you've got a really good preacher who's good at it. Let me say it again, because I think you missed it. You've got a really good preacher who's good at it and loves it, and I hope that comes across to you. I think great and all, I think Altum should consider it. I've seen that young man, I think he's got a heart for it. I think he should consider it, and I want him to hear his preacher in his home church say, we think you ought to look at this. I would have said it about Rhett Watson before he left. And there are others like this. I want somebody, but now even, listen, even if you don't do it full time, we need somebody who can preach once in a while because the church needs somebody from their own number to be able to get up and take that passage. And all you're doing is trying to study, study scripture, submit to it, which we're all supposed to do, and then find a way to communicate it to a group of people you stand in front of. We need people to do this. And parents often say, no, don't do that because of the church politics. What occupation does it have? that one occupation doesn't have annoying people in it are you in a job that you don't have annoying people randy are you oh no i know the answer to that because some of our members here are people uh, is any no give it some thought and listen our last leaders people boys 
prepare a lesson, get up and preach one. You will not ever fail at Valley View because if you do the worst job ever, we will love you and build you up as if you were little Jesus. That's how we'll do it. But we will expect you to get better and better over time. I know how uncomfortable it is. I know nobody particularly likes that, that pressure put on them. But you will not grow if you don't step out and do it. And the greatest spiritual discipline of my life is sermon preparation. It's the greatest, most wonderful thing. It's just my bent. And there are some people like that, and I'm just urging them to do it. I'm going to wrap up with this. The only holdback to go, growing more to be like Christ is us. That's the only holdback. God has given us an expectation. God has given us the resources. The only question is, are we going to use them? We make room to harness our sports talents, our academic talents. We make room for all sorts of things, so let's make room for spiritual maturity. You can decide that, and in fact, you will decide that every single day of 2023. You will either choose not to grow, and it will be a choice, or you will choose to grow, and that will be a choice. Either way, you're making the choice, and I urge you to make the right one. I don't want Valley View Church of Christ to be the same next year when we're at this point than we are right now. I want every single one of us to be deeper, richer, and fuller in our spiritual walk with God, but it will only do that if we choose to participate. If there's anything we can do for you spiritually now, make it known as we stand and as we sing.